You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, one of the things I've shared with you many times is that one of the things that fascinates me so very much is how God displays his power and his amazing ability and wonder through creation. And many of you know that in 2018, I had a sabbatical after working quite a few years here at the church. And uh, the church was so gracious to give me and my family some time off. And during that time, the volcano in Hawaii had erupted and the lava lake that had been going there since 2008 drained out and it went 17 miles down the rift and came up in the neighborhood. Then it formed a large fissure there and ran all the way eight miles down to the ocean, creating over almost 900 acres of new land in Hawaii. But after that eruption, the mountain went quiet. The, the crater that used to hold all that lava began to cave in and became very, very large. And then it began to have some water come up and then rainwater would get caught in there. And there was a lake that was several hundred feet deep in the crater, and it sat that way for two years. And then this last year, 2020, right before Christmas, the volcano woke up. And lava started coming up out of two places in the crater. And the lava ran down and it burned off that lava lake in a matter of minutes. And then it began to fill that large crater with a lava lake that now is over 60 acres and over 600 feet deep. And for the last couple of years, I've saved up Hawaiian Airlines miles and my wife, Heather, she's had a broken foot and is limited in her mobility. And I said, Honey, I've got some time. I'm going to use a free ticket and I'm going to fly over there and chase the volcano again with my camera. And so literally a couple days before Christmas, a couple days before the new year and then a couple days after the new year, I was actually on the big island of Hawaii and chasing the volcano from the air and from land. And I'll talk a little bit more about that next week as well. However, Uh, The Hawaiian volcano Kilauea is thought to be powered in Hawaiian legend by a goddess named Pele. And, And as I'm at the overlook, the public overlook, all you can see is the crater and the glow of the lava and then the steam coming up. You can't actually even see the lava. But I go out there at night and I'm there with my camera and my camera can see better than our eyes can see. And so I'm taking a long exposure. But as I'm doing that, I'm talking to other public people who are around us and there's a group of young adults. And one of the young adults looks at it and she's standing there and she sees like the steam coming up and she looks on my camera to see like even better than her eyes can see what is happening. And she is referring to every glow of the steam of the volcano as Pele, like there she is. There's the goddess Pele. She's a goddess. And she's telling me on and on. And I was like, you know, not everybody really believes that way, that there's a lot of answers for what's going on here, like who created the earth and the volcano and the stars and the heavens. And, but she just is saying like, I'm looking at the steam and I can actually see the image of Pele herself in the steam of the volcano. And so I was looking at it going like, you kind of, you look in the clouds and you kind of see what you look for. So she's looking at it and she's seeing the goddess Pele and she sees it. So I had Joshua, my son, draw what she might've seen in the cloud there. But then I'm saying you really can look 
and find whatever you look for. So I started saying, well, what else could be in the cloud? And so I had Joshua, who's an artist, find some other things in the cloud. And here's what he found. We obviously found a gorilla that's looking up at the stars. We found SpongeBob and his friends in the cloud. Uh, We also found an Imperial Star Destroyer and another ship there in the cloud. So my point is that people will try to attribute the greatness of God and try to attribute something greater than themselves or better than themselves in what they see in nature. And in Hawaii, there are so many people who literally refer to Pele as this goddess of fire. And that's the threat on the island, that if Pele erupts, that lava might come burn your house. And there's a lot of legends and a lot of lore. One of the legends is this, that when other gods or great people had come against her that she would chase them off or they try to escape from her and one of the legends says this if you don't respect her the threat is that she'll get angry and throw lava at you and right now in Hawaii Volcanoes National Park they will describe red ferns as ferns that were gods running away from Pele who got hit by the fire and green ferns as the ones that got away. And it's beautiful when you listen to their legends. I'm not going to lie. They're very creative. They're incredibly descriptive. But they are, in fact, only legends. In fact, the Bible tells us a little bit about volcanoes. It says this in Psalm 97, beginning with verse 5. It says, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all people see His glory, so not the mountain's glory or a God's glory, but they see the Lord's glory. All who worship images are put to shame and those who boast in idols saying, worship him, all you gods. And gods is lowercase there. But it's talking about that God's glory is revealed through creation and it declares the glory of the creator himself. And all of a sudden, we find a very real threat in the lives of the exiles. That if they don't do what the culture wants them to do, they have the potential of having not lava thrown at them, but being thrown into a blazing furnace. They've been carried away out of Judah into a Babylonian culture. And the worship of the Babylonian deities is enforced by fire. And they have to place themselves and their future and their very lives in the hands of God. We find the situation in the book of Daniel. Now, I want to ask, have you ever had to place your life in God's hands? And I'm not talking about, oh, I have a fear of flying or my puppy's health. No, I'm talking about your very life. You were scared for your life. Some of you have had very real threats to your life at some point. Some of you have had to cling to Jesus and experience him firsthand fighting your battles. Others of you have experienced literal violence when choosing to follow Jesus or perhaps even your family excommunicated you from them because of their religious heritage. And right now, Others are facing such impossible situations where God has to come through. It's not an if he can come through or he might come through, but he's got to. God, you've got to step in. You might be afraid for your very life. 
And that's the situation where these exiles from Judah find themselves in the book of Daniel. And the question is, how do you and I as exiles, living in a godless culture, bring value to the culture without compromising our identity in Christ or our God? The band Switchfoot says, what you love is your religion. What you say is your religion. And how you say it is your religion. In other words, what they're saying is, the tongue is a tattletale and it tells on your heart. That what we say and how we say what we say reveals what we actually worship. So for example, let's say you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but your highest value is that people shouldn't ever hurt people. Then what happens is not offending becomes your religion. You become hesitant and you say nothing. Others of you have the absolute opposite problem. That for you, if making a point is your religion, then you lose influence by always having to make your point. You chase people away because you just can't zip it. You can't be quiet. However, if being offended by everything that's pagan in our culture is your religion, then you lose the ability to truly see people because you just can't get past the hurdles of their lost behavior. So our tongue is a tattletale. It tells on our heart. How do we bring value to a culture without compromising our identity or our God? Because let's be honest, idolatry is alive and active in our day. And the tension of values will cause culture to throw fire at you if you don't cave in to its desires. So in Daniel chapter three, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. That's 90 feet by nine feet. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, all nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. Culture takes every opportunity to worship itself. See, there's no end to the award ceremonies for the culture to tell itself that it is golden. And I'm not talking about just the Oscars or Golden Globes or Grammys, but it's really trickled down to sports teams where every kid on the team gets an award and gets a trophy. Why? Because worship's the issue. And worship plays itself out in culture. In Romans chapter one, Paul is talking about the ongoing nature of how sin 
in an ongoing way degrades people. And he's talking about how they've done that sexually in Romans chapter one. And in verse 22, he sums it up by saying this, although they claim to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that look like mortal human beings or birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, they trade worship of God and they begin to worship things that God has made or even images that people have made to look like that. There's no end to the award ceremonies that culture uses to tell itself that culture is amazing, that culture is golden. Why? Because culture worships itself. It is the issue. Worship is the issue. The devil's kingdom is built on forced worship. They expect everyone to worship like they do and to worship what they do. It's forced worship and that's where these exiles find themselves. The beautiful thing is that Almighty God woos our hearts and invites us with his love and his compassion We're not robots that we are forced to worship him, but that he woos us because he knows that when we have choice, that our worship becomes complete, that our worship is free and there can't be authentic love without freedom. Worship is the issue. And so the issue is who's going to be God of your life? Are you God? Are you going to be God of your life? Or are you going to give God's word claim on your life that trickles all the way into your life? See, regardless of what the influencers of a land decree or what the leaders declare to be legal, culture's mantras and legalities cannot stop the degrading consequences of ongoing sin. Like God cared so much for people that he made a way to escape judgment through the cost of his own blood, his own suffering on the cross, his death and his resurrection. But you must confess him as God, not the values of culture. But culture is going to try to force you to worship what it worships. So the issue is, again, let me ask, are you going to be God of your life? Or are you going to give his written word claim over your life? Will the majority of people decide what is truth to you? Or will you bring value to the godless culture without compromising your identity or your God? Well, how do we do that? One of the ways you and I can do that is that you can stick to biblical convictions and still be loving. See, I think you need to understand something that right now in our culture, the church, people who are the church, who are believers, Christ followers, we need to prepare for an exodus of people who are weary of self-worship. They're weary of floating from one philosophy to another. They're weary of watching the line of what can actually be trusted move every minute. They want stability. They want hope as an anchor for their soul. They're they're tired of the instability in our culture. And so people are desperate for truth. And the church needs to be prepared for a flood of people desperate for the truth. And that's your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers right now. Write this down. When you live counterculturally, you will encounter haters. In Daniel chapter three, beginning with verse eight, the story continues. It says, at this time, some astrologers, right? People who look at the stars for meaning for themselves, 
Some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. By the way, beware of those who denounce the Jews. It's not a new thing in history. But the people of God have been denounced by other cultures in history because God chose them as the race through whom he would come to be a blessing to the entire world. But these astrologers came along and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They're kind of turning their nose up like it should be us. But you've set some Jews over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zip, when you hear all kinds of music, all the instruments, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? That's the threat, right? You're gonna hear it. You're gonna hear haters. When you live counterculturally, when you're not willing to compromise your God, when you worship the God who created all things instead of the legends of creation, you're gonna hear it from people. Interestingly, this last year, the biggest thing missing in professional sports has been the 12th man. You say, what's the 12th man? Well, in football, it's usually the crowd, the culture, the noise. When you go to your opponent's home advantage and you hear their crowd and it's hard for you to hear the plays, you, you're not only playing against the other team, but you're, you're playing against what's called the 12th man, the noise of the culture, the noise of the crowd. And when you and I as Christ followers go into culture's house, and live for Jesus Christ, you're gonna hear it from the 12th man and that's exactly what's happening to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right now. Culture expects you to subscribe to doing life the same as everyone else. In other words, we're all doing this, we're all gonna bow down to the idol, we're all gonna do this and if you don't, we're gonna throw a fire at you, we're gonna throw you into the fire. And for some of you, you're watching culture and you have been going through a hard year and, and, and the expectations of culture are wearing you down. See, culture tells us to subscribe and there's lots of ways, not just pandemic ways, but there may be lots of ways that culture tells you and I to subscribe and people are all over the place on their opinions about it, whether it's vaccinations or healthcare or politics or diets or lifestyles, to actually nitpicking what pastors preach and limiting the freedoms of speech we will have as a church in the future. Well, what in culture right now has been tempting you to bow down? Where have you become hesitant to your identity in Christ? You become hesitant to be who you are, to be who God called you to be, to live as a, as a people, to be a godly blessing to culture in a godless culture. 
and how you should bless people. You're kind of afraid to say anything or do anything because you just don't want to offend anyone. Well, Kerry Newoff, who's a pastor up in Canada, he was commenting recently on how the church responds best to issues of like sexuality or same-sex marriage in Canada. It's been legal there for over a decade. And I love his quote. He says this, we, speaking of the church, we're at our best when we offer an alternative, not just a reflection of a diluted or hijacked spirituality. We will humbly and consistently address all forms of sex outside of marriage. Not just nitpicking them, but all forms of sex outside of marriage are conversations, right? The culture will respond to that. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Stop defending yourselves before the leaders of culture. A lot of times people think they gotta defend themselves or they gotta be the voice of God or the voice of the church or the voice of something in culture. And the truth is God's easily and happily able to defend himself. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood this. They said that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I love this statement. They say, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. Isn't that powerful? People always try to reduce Jesus to less than who he is. They try to make him simply a teacher, but he's not. Jesus is God. He's God become flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He is God incarnate. And he is the one who rose from the dead and conquered death. And people are always gonna come along and question, well, why do you follow that God as opposed to the gods of culture or the gods of some other era? People always question God's decisions. People always question God's values. It's what people do. Lost people question God's decisions and values and sometimes save people as we are working out our salvation Sometimes we question as we look at the values of culture why we can't be just like that. Well, in the Old Testament, there's a great example where Moses chooses Aaron to be the high priest among the people. Now, Aaron is related to Moses. And so what happens is the other tribes of Israel form a rebellion. And they say, why would you choose your relative and not choose one of us? And so he said, well, bring your staff. That was your kind of walking stick, your authority symbol. And bring your staff. And all these staffs are just dead sticks. They're like a walking stick. And they decided to lay them out before the Lord. One representing each tribe of the tribes of Israel. And then they were going to wait a day. And they said this, let the one that's a dead stick that buds is the one that God chooses. In other words, we're going to lay these sticks out. And if one of them comes to life, that's the one God chooses because we know nobody can manipulate that. Nobody can manipulate who's the right person for the job. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, not only did Aaron's staff bud, but there were blossoms on it and almonds hanging off of it. Just overnight, this thing came to life, had blossoms and almonds hanging off of it. Listen, God is able to defend himself and his choices just 
fine. Over the years, many have claimed that they are from God, whether it's Muhammad or Buddha or any other icon, fine. But they've all been put in the grave. But only Jesus has conquered death and walked out of the grave. God is fully able to defend himself and his being and his reputation. See, it's better for his church then to make a difference in culture than to make a point. We bring value to godless culture. We bring blessing as the people of God to a godless culture rather than trying to simply defend God or make a point. Write this down. You have to get in the fire before the fourth man shows up. What happens? The scriptures tell us, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, all their other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no God no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Amazing. They didn't even have the smell of fire on them. You ever been around a campfire for like three minutes? And within minutes, your clothes all smell like smoke. And yet they defied the edict of the king. And they were unharmed and unaffected in nearly every way by the fire. Oh, the guards who had to throw them in, they died because of the heat. They were, did not have the protection of God. The fire wasn't something wrong with the fire. It killed them. But God's men who took a stand to honor him first in a godless culture, he rescued. These exiles, they were willing to die for God. 
And Almighty God delivered, he defended, he saved. God shows up when you're roasted by culture. In fact, I love it that the fire revealed the presence of the pre-incarnate Christ. It says the angel is how Nebuchadnezzar described him. But we know that this is Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ. What was Jesus doing in the Old Testament? He shows up several times in the Old Testament. And that Jesus is the one who walks among them in the fire that Nebuchadnezzar described as looking as if he came from the gods. He was a son of the gods. No, he was the son of God. And he defended them. See, when God does what only God can do, the lost preach the rightness and the greatness of Almighty God. King Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself. He changes his tune from, who then can rescue you from me? To, no one better disparage the one true God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or else I'm gonna take offense with you. See, Christ followers, we feel the tension of living in a godless culture while we are being made whole. God is renewing all things. He's restoring all things. And you and I, at the moment of receiving Jesus Christ, we're saved, but we still live with flesh and we still are mortal. And so we feel the tension between people pleasing. We feel the tension between culture. We feel the tension of our flesh, yet our soul is saved. Our spirit is saved. We are one with Christ, but we are being made whole. We are in that process that we are delivered by God, but we still need delivering because of the ongoing nature of sin. And sometimes you and I have to get in the fire before the fourth man shows up. That we need to choose to continue to follow God, to live out of our identity, even though the rest of the culture is doing exactly what the culture demands that it do. A lot of times you want God to show up and rescue you before you feel the flames, before you feel the heat. But I want you to know whatever your impossible situation is right now that sometimes you have to get in the fire before God shows up. But make no mistake, he is able. And if he does not do it, make it turn out the way that you want. If he does not rescue you in the way that helps you preserve your life, Understand that resurrection is a far greater miracle than death prevention. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood. See, the only way for you and I to live as an exile, being pulled out of a godless culture to be the people of God, is to allow the word of God to have more and more claim on your life, more claim on your beliefs, more claim into your way of living so I wanna encourage you to continue to build your life around your faith. Some of you say, but my faith is so small. That's fine. Whatever size your faith is right now, you begin to build your life around the faith and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not worshiping culture, but to worship him. And all you see around you at times is the fire. And all you see is the threat from culture. But when you believe God, it is then that he shows up in your impossible situation. So tell him, God, I, I trust you. Even if I don't feel it right now, God, I'm going to choose to trust you. God, I will choose to believe you. God, I choose to stop being hesitant about you, that God, I need you so that I can be a blessing to a godless people in a godless culture because you've called me to be your church. And right now, if you have never made a decision 
to be saved from your sin by the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's simply this understanding, it's you giving faith to the fact that Jesus was the one, the, the one who was in the fire, that he is the God who became flesh, lived in the person of Jesus, the God man, the only one who ever existed, but he came to earth to become a sacrifice for you and for me before you and I were ever born. And he took our sin upon the cross and he canceled it out when you and I put our faith in what he did on the cross, that that was done for you. That was done for your sin to rescue you from the eternal destruction of fire that scripture talks about for those who are judged in Christ. But you can give your life to him. You can say, God, I wanna become a child of God. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to follow the real, true, living God above all other gods. I wanna follow the God who woos my heart with his love and with his compassion by sacrificing himself for me. And if that's you today, right where you are, I encourage you to pray a prayer right like this. Praying is just talking to God. And so just in your head or out loud, wherever you are, just pray something like this to say, Jesus, today, I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried in a grave, but you rose to new life because you are the true God. And I ask you to forgive me and wash me as white as snow. Make me a new creation on the inside, one who's been delivered, but is gonna in an ongoing way keep being delivered till the day I meet you face to face. And say, God, today I give you me. And if you prayed that prayer right now, there are angels in heaven who rejoice. Your sins are washed away. That God takes that little teeny mustard seed of faith and will begin to grow that throughout the rest of your life as you organize your life around new faith in Jesus Christ. And we wanna come alongside to help you do that. And our hosts will tell you how. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.